this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about mind control and hypnosis. Can you control somebody's mind? What is hypnosis? And how suggestible are you? How suggestible are you? I'm not at all suggestible. Are you suggestible? I think I might be quite suggestible. <laughs> We're going to find out. Let's get on with the show. Have you ever been hypnotised? When I was a student, we went to a hypnosis show. I went up on stage. I thought afterwards I hadn't been hypnotised, but then my friend was convinced that I had been hypnotised, but then had been asked to forget about being hypnotised. And so for many years, we debated about whether or not I had been hypnotised because he said you were clearly hypnotised and then the hypnotist told you to forget about being hypnotised, which is why you thought you weren't hypnotised. Okay. Is there any way of checking that? Yes, because about 10 years later, my friend told me he'd been joking for a decade. Oh, no! So I I haven't been. But but hypnosis is amazing as a topic. It is complicated. I suspect we're not going to get any firm answers out of this today because as soon as you start to think about the question, what it really means, you get into deep philosophical and psychological issues quite quickly. Can, Can we start with a basic definition of what it is? Well, this is the problem. You almost get into the, the, the issues straight away there. So it's a concept. It's a thing that people claim exists and other people claim doesn't exist. The basic idea is that when you suggest certain things to people, they carry out those things or have those thoughts and that somehow that's due to the suggestion rather than being internally driven by them. That's sort of what sits at the, the heart of it. Okay. It goes a long way back. So France Anton Mesmer of mesmerism fame, uh, 1780s, he's the one that comes up with the idea that you can sort of affect other people by your, your own thoughts, as it were. So he thinks that there's some kind of weird electricity or magnetic fluid or energy flowing through people's bodies. And just by waving his hands around in front of people, that he can alter the flow of that energy and make them better. Look into the eyes. Exactly, exactly. So he's doing that, becomes very popular. In the end, they decide to have a royal commission, this is over in France, to investigate it. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is involved in that. And they think, here's the worry. The worry is that these participants, if you like, patients, they know whether the mesmerist is standing in front of them or not. So we don't know whether the results we're seeing is due to their expectations and suggestion or it's to do with these weird hand movements that are being made. So Franklin and others have the idea of putting the patient one side of a door. The other side there is either a mesmerist waving their hands around or there's no one at all. Okay. And then you can ask the patient how do you feel and you find out what you should find out is if the hand movements have got a real effect they only feel the difference when there really was a mesmerist there. But then if it doesn't work, you can just claim that the psychic energies don't travel through doors. You you could claim that. What was interesting about these studies, they were conducted with mesmerists. They were actually designed with them. So it was this kind of collaborative effort. And what they found was that the patient reported the effects, the beneficial effects sometimes, regardless of whether there's anyone the other side of the door. So it's one of the very first instances of blind methods being used in science. 
Benjamin Franklin got about a bit, didn't he? I mean, yes, he had a bike. Just quite impressive. Oh, yeah, he did yes. loads of things. I'm just going to do this. Yes. Now so electricity. Um, so it's an interesting couple of years of research. Um, and it's another example of how you take a fringe area and in testing it actually end up some, with something that's then crucial to mainstream science and medicine. So they learnt that pretty much it's all in the head of the person being hypnotised. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And it shows you, quote, the power of suggestion. So many of us will have come across hypnotherapy as a stage show and we've got a listener question from Simon who shares with us an experience he had at college. When I was a student, I had a hypnotist come and visit us at college. So I find myself on stage uh, in a long line of people who were being asked to do kind of ridiculous things like, uh, you know, pretend to be a table or bark like a dog. or, and I, And I suddenly had the sense that I'm not really hypnotised, but I found myself doing it anyway. I could never really resolve myself to understand whether I was just being an exhibitionist and, you know, a crowd pleaser, or whether I was somehow a dual lever of consciousness, aware that I was doing something stupid, but also aware that uh, I couldn't really help myself. Yeah, so it gets the absolute heart of the issue. And, and so we should separate off a few things here. One is stage hypnosis, which is where most people will have encountered this. Another is research hypnosis, which is where you're carrying out hypnotic studies in the lab in order to try and find out what's going on. And the third is hypnotherapy, which is being used in the therapeutic context. And those things are all quite different. So if we start with stage hypnosis, which is central to the question here, I, I know quite a lot of uh, stage hypnotists. And a lot of what you're looking at there is compliance. So if you think about how a stage hypnosis show is constructed, first of all, the whole audience are often asked to carry out some kind of hypnotic susceptibility test, which we can do now. Okay. So we'll find out whether you're a, you would be a good hypnotic subject. Good, because I'd like to be hypnotised and I never have been. Oh, really? No. So uh, if you put the notes down for a second yep. and you're going to close your eyes... Both your arms held out in front of you. Perfect. Uh, your left hand palm up. Perfect. And in your mind, I want you to just listen to my voice and focus on the words that I'm saying. And now imagine on your left palm, there's a stack of very heavy books. The heavy books on your left palm, pushing your left hand down, down towards the floor. The more you imagine it, the heavier those books appear. Attach the fingers of your right hand is a helium balloon. The helium balloon pulling your right hand up, up towards the ceiling as your left hand moves down, down towards the floor. So don't fight your imagination or fight any suggestions, suspend any scepticism you have and imagine your right hand moving up towards the ceiling and your left hand moving down towards the floor. And now if you open your eyes, your two hands are exactly equal. There's no movement there at all. <laughs> and you're not at all susceptible no. to hypnosis. So you would be a very bad hypnotic subject. Well, that's disappointing. But when you do that with a large group of people, I've done it many, many times, you get some people with their Arms will be, no, oh, two or really? three feet apart. Oh, fantastic. And that's what happens at the beginning of a stage hypnosis show. It'll either be that one or it'll be hand grasping where you put your hands together and can't take them apart. And so you only take the people whose 
arms are a long way apart. They come up on stage. And then the next part of it is, do they enjoy being on stage? And are they having fun? Because essentially, they're going to be the stars of the show. And so if they do something that makes everyone laugh, they're the centre of attention. If they're enjoying that, then that they become central to your show. Everyone else gets sent back. So now you're working with people that enjoy being the centre of attention and they are suggestible people. And then you roll out your two-hour hypnosis show. Oh, clever. Okay. So, so it's very hard to figure out what is happening with that because it could just all be compliance. So I saw a Darren Brown show where he picks some people and over the course of the week plants seeds of how to react and essentially by the end of the week he's got them robbing a bank. Yes. And it's brilliant and it just felt totally unbelievable at the same time because I felt like I wouldn't react like that. But then I probably wouldn't react like that and I wouldn't have been picked. With Darren's work, and he is a brilliant performer, there's all sorts of things going on during those those shows, but he's also an extremely good hypnotist. And what you're talking about there is that idea of sort of priming and suggestibility. And I've done some studies like that with even um, perceptual suggestibility. So we've done work where you'll see somebody apparently bend a key with the power of their mind you put the key on the table and the performer says oh look it's still bending and around about 40 percent of people will report that key is still continuing to bend just because you've planted that idea in their minds so with stage hypnosis it's kind of difficult to figure out there's a lovely story possibly apocryphal of the show not going well for a hypnotist and so the hypnotist whispers into one of the participants ears and says look if you just play along just play along, I'll give you £50 after the show. And so the participant fakes it all, plays along the whole thing. Right at the end of the show, the hypnotist turns to the audience and says, one final hypnotic suggestion, I'm going to suggest that this person now believes that I owe them £50. (laughs) And the more I deny it, the angrier they're going to get. That's very good. And so that's, uh, actually it's apocryphal, but it's it's a lovely story. But that kind of in a way puts your finger on the heart of this which is is there something special going on is there some sort of a hypnotic pathway that this is tapping into or is this just we're getting some suggestible people and putting them in a space where they're suggestible yeah so th- this is this is the whole thing and so if you go back I suppose to the sort of 70s, 80s, early 90s, the whole debate was exactly that. You had what's called the state folks who are going, what's happening is they're being put into an odd state of consciousness. Again, a little bit of a Freudian model that you have the unconscious and the conscious. And what hypnosis allows you to do is access the unconscious. And they would often use what's called a hidden observer technique, is that when somebody was hypnotised, the idea was that you could put your hand on their shoulder and speak to the conscious mind still. And then when you took your hand off, they went back into the unconscious mind. So they're the state people that are arguing hypnosis is a very odd state of consciousness. So that's what I grew up as a kid thinking that hypnotism yes, was. that's the popular thing, which you see in films yeah. and TV shows and, and so on. The non-state folks are the normally social psychologists who are arguing, actually, this is a mixture of distraction, relaxation, suggestibility, imagery, compliance. All these things are wrapped into an, another explanation and that actually all the effects you're getting are those things coming together 
rather than this person being into any sort of weird state of consciousness. And the question is, from a psychological point of view, is how you tease apart those two sets of ideas. And that's what the researchers tried to do for 20 years or, or so. Presumably a way of teasing those apart would be trying to find the line where someone did something that they didn't want to do. Yeah. You know, stab someone or take all their clothes off or something that... that that's right. And, and so with stage hypnosis, it's difficult because, well, did they want to do that thing? If they take their clothes off, some people enjoy taking their clothes off in public and, and making everyone laugh or what, whatever it is. In the... It's not supposed to be the reaction to taking your clothes off. Is it not? No. That's the reaction I always <laughs> just, get. Just FYI. <laughs> This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and this episode we're talking about mind control. So it's a good point about trying to get people to do things um, they wouldn't normally do. Lovely research where you take people, this is in the lab, you hypnotise them, you say in front of you there is a very dangerous poisonous snake, and there was a very dangerous poisonous snake. There was nothing faked about it. What I'm going to ask you to do is put your hands inside the plastic box that houses the snake and take the snake out. And almost all of the people under hypnosis were prepared to do that. And when they put their hands into the box, they realised there was a kind of protective panel so actually they couldn't be bitten by the snake. So you'd think, oh, OK, so when they're in this odd state of consciousness, you can persuade them to do something which they wouldn't normally do in waking state until you get your control group in, a group of regular people, you don't hypnotise them at all. You just say, I want you to pretend you're hypnotised. <laughs> There's the dangerous snake. Will you put your hand in? All of them put their hand no! in. No! And the reason is when you talk to them, they say, well, I know I'm part of an experiment. I know you're never going to actually put me in real danger. So I thought it'd be a fun thing, an interesting thing to do. Uh, do you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, but it shows the difficulties is, is that, the hypnotised people knew they were in an experiment as well and had the same thoughts going through their head. So it's very difficult to tease these things apart. Which leads us nicely on to another listener question from Mike Dix, who used hypnotism to try and quit smoking. I once tried hypnosis to stop smoking and I went to two sessions with a really lovely um, hypnotist, but I felt obliged to actually pretend that I was being hypnotised because I genuinely didn't feel like any change of conscious state. And I just wondered, do people that can be hypnotised, do they have a propensity for that? Or is it something that you just buy into? I mean, you've well, mentioned that. Some yeah, people so, are more sus susceptible. Uh, they absolutely are. And also it's a myth about hypnosis that you're, you, you're asleep or anything like that. You're absolutely conscious during the whole thing. So... It's not like you, you switch off. So you might have been successfully hypnotised and left with this feeling that you were just playing along. Yeah, absolutely. OK. There's post-hypnotic suggestion, which is where the hypnotist might say, and you won't remember any of this. But that's normally not used very much. Hmm. And so during the hypnotic session, you will just feel relaxed. You might feel a little bit drowsy, but there's no way you wouldn't be aware of what is happening around you. And th this, again, talks to this problem of how we try and figure out what is going on. Esther has got in touch to say, I've often wondered about trying hypnosis, but always assumed I'm far too much of a control freak for it to work. So either it will be really nice and relaxing or 
Esther will be one of those people for whom it's just not going to, they're not suggestible enough. Yeah, I mean, like everything else, there's a bell curve and some people are highly suggestible. They are the sorts of people that become absorbed in books and films. There's sorts of people when you do the test that we did, their arms will be a long way apart. And then on the other end of the bell curve are the people like you, uh, whose arms are together at the end of that test. And there's not going to be much point in going to a hypnotist. So, yeah, it's how susceptible you are. There is no doubt, though, that there are effects. So if you look at pain control, you can take a group of people who are hypnotisable and you can get them to endure far more pain under hypnosis than they would do normally. So this is where studies where you have to keep your hand in a, a very cold bucket of water, for example, which is a surprisingly painful thing to do. Again, though, if you get other people and get them to pretend to be hypnotised, and particularly if you can get them to distract their attention, pain is very, very subjective. So if you can distract their attention away from the pain, they do fairly well on those tasks. Um, so it's, again, it's very difficult to know what's going on. Well, talking of pain... Laura has gotten in touch to say, I had hypnotherapy by a psychotherapist for grief, but I also did hypnobirthing to deliver my baby. Both experiences have been life-changing for me. You just have to believe in yourself, the process and the therapy and really trust the person. So so it can make a real difference to pain levels. Oh, oh absolutely. It's, it's one of the things that um, hypnotherapy is very good at. And again, is that due to relaxation? Is it to do with suggestion? Is it to do with uh, distraction? Well, yes. But if it works, it works. But what's very insightful about that comment is it flags up a couple of issues. One is obviously the type of person we've, we've spoken about in terms of susceptibility. But it also really matters who the hypnotist is. Because like everything else, some people are really good at it, some people not so good at it. What what does it take? What makes the best hypnotist? Very hard to say. I would say a bit like a lot of performance, it's that X factor of charisma. There's just something. It's all to do with eye contact as well. They're very confident, but there's a certain charisma there that you simply believe what they say and they believe what they say. You, you mentioned at the top of this programme that... Hypnosis for stage shows, which is what most of us know hip yes. hypnotism to be, and hypnosis in the lab and hypnotherapy are three very different things. Yeah. So what's the difference? So the stage show, you've got an audience, obviously, so you get all the sort of social compliance effects. In the lab, they're trying to tell the difference between state and non-state. A very, very difficult thing to do. It turns out that actually a lot of the hypnotic effects you can get without people being under, quotes, hypnosis. And the way you get them into a hypnotic state is an induction procedure, which might be, a, you know, you're slowly drifting off and as you listen to my voice and by the time I get to one, you'll be in a hypnotic state and all of that. And uh, other times they'll use the swinging watch or stare at a light and you'll feel your eyes become heavy. Some people do an instant induction procedure, which is as they shake the hand of the person, they just push their head forward and they go to allegedly in a hypnotic state. And you're under. And you're under. So all of that puts people into this odd state and then the non-state people don't do those induction procedures and often get similar effects. Because what, what you really want to do is find something that people who are hypnotised can do that non-hypnotised people can't do, no matter how hard they try. Yeah. And it's been very, very difficult. So there's a thing called a delayed audio loop where you hear your own voice a split second after this, you've spoken. Yeah, this happens in radio yes. a lot. And it's very disruptive. It's incredibly disruptive, yeah. Uh, so And it's really hard to overcome. Yeah. You can say to hypnotic people, 
you can no longer hear your own voice. You're deaf to your own voice. And therefore, they should be able to overcome it. Ooh, that's and, pretty cool. Yeah, they can't. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and so there you get something where people try as hard as they can, they can't overcome it, but you can't overcome it in hypnosis either. So this whole thing, it's its all a bit of a minefield. I wish I could give you a really clear-cut answer. And and of course, it depends who you speak to. This is my, my point of view. If you had a, a psychologist here who's more pro-hypnosis, they'd be telling you something very different. Because it's one of those things where... I really want to believe that there's something, not magic, but tapping into an altered state of consciousness going on there. Yes, a lot because, of because it is useful. That's, that's the point. And there we come to the, to the third element, which is the hypnotherapy, which in a sense is, is where the research has shifted away from this argument about what's going on to a much more pragmatic argument, which is, all right, let's forget about whether it's suggestion, relaxation, con- consciousness, all this. Just, let's just ask the question, does it help people who are suffering some kind of physical or uh, psychological distress? Does it help those individuals? And that's, well, that's the most recent research. We've had a question from Emma about having hypnotherapy at a zoo. And she says, I went to a hypnotherapy evening course at the zoo for my fear of spiders. At the start, I struggled to be in the same room as a large house spider. And by the end, I stroked a tarantula. I have no idea what they did to my brain. For the hypno sessions, we just lay on the floor and closed our eyes. And they had us do various visualizations and relaxation techniques. It was perfectly pleasant, but my mind just kept drifting and thinking about how my back hurt, etc. But obviously, they did something that worked. So I'd love to know how did they do that? It could be, and with overcoming a lot of phobias, what you do is introduce, for example, the spider at a distance. The person feels anxious, so you take them through a progressive relaxation task and then you can move the spider a little bit closer and you can do the same thing again. That's a very effective way of overcoming those sorts of phobias. Now, the hypnosis thing is very similar to that. You're telling people you're relaxed and it's fine and you're in a safe place. And then you introduce the thing that makes them anxious. And so the pairing becomes relaxation and the thing that makes you feel anxious rather than you running away from whatever it is that that scares you. Now, is it subconscious? Is it something magical? We don't know. We just know that taking people through that, making those suggestions, using the word hypnosis seems to be helpful in lots of different situations for lots of different people. So the key is that it keeps you calm and feeling safe whilst you're in the presence of... In in terms of phobia stuff, that's right. It takes you all the way back to the mesmerism experiments, is that there was an effect on people regardless of whether there's someone behind the, the door. Here, there is an effect on people regardless of whether, quotes, hypnotism exists. The fact is that using the word, taking people through that induction procedure, relaxing them and so on, seems to be beneficial, particularly when it's combined with other approaches. And and that seems to be the case across the board, that for many different physical and psychological challenges, that using hypnotherapy by an expert, a responsible hypnotherapist, is a helpful additional tool. I, I want to bring in some interesting work that was done based... It's by a guy called Peter Worrell, who used to work at South Manchester University, who's an IBS specialist. And now irritable bowel syndrome was something that back in the 70s was just dismissed as oversensitive woman problems. 
But for people who suffer from it, it's grim and the pain is very real. And so then it's not in their head. However, Peter Worrell discovered that if you do hypnotherapy on patients, he reported out of 2,000 people that they tried hypnotherapy on, 76% reported reduced symptoms by a half, which is really impressive. I think the problem, the reason that it's not even mentioned on the NHS's suggested treatments for IBS and surgery, which is massively invasive and complicated is, is probably because we haven't unpicked what the mechanism is by how it's working. But it definitely works. Well, that's right. I mean, it depends whether you adopt a kind of medical model or a psychological one. And so, again, we've spoken about this quite a lot, is is the model you have of who the person is impacts on the sorts of interventions that, that you'd be interested in. So here, if you see a person as having a mind, a mind that can be impacted upon by something called hypnosis and suggestion and so on, that's exactly the avenue you'd explore. Now, we should say, as we've said many times on the podcast, you know, when, when people have a very serious challenge, they need to see experts. And in, in terms of uh, hypnosis, that's particularly the case. And, and also consult general practitioners and, and so on. But the evidence is that whatever it is, which we don't fully understand, when it's used by professionals carefully, it can help people with a range of psychological and physical challenges. So it has helped people quit smoking? Yeah, it's a useful way. And and. Again, it might be just suggestion, it might be relaxation. We don't know, but it seems to help with all those sorts of things. And and often it isn't used in a... This is one of the issues with evaluating it. It's not used in a standalone context. It might be part of, you know, cognitive behavioural therapy or alongside other medical interventions and so on. But in general, I think the evidence stacks up in quite a positive way. Yeah, yeah. It's just in a way that's quite annoying for scientists who want to write this down in a paper because it's the same as it's the same as studying the benefits of yoga because yes. you you need to pin down what yoga actually is first it's it's, it's difficult I mean, we've said it many times before that, that that you have to be comfortable with ambiguity in psychology and and not knowing because we don't really know what goes on. There's been brain scans of people who've been hypnotised. We know that bits of the brain are more active when they're hypnotised, but that's exactly what the non-state people would say as well, because, well, there, there's something there because they're relaxed or distracted or, or whatever it is. But in a way, I'm a fan of parking all that debate, which didn't get very far and took a very long time, and just going, all right, pragmatically, does, does it help it, people? Yeah, does it under, help people? Let's try, let's try it. Yeah. Yeah, so are you saying we should have more hypnosis as a sort of practice within I, I the medical services? I think we should explore. It needs to be done in a responsible way. But I, I think there's enough going on that certainly we should be open to it. But that's, of course, my approach with most of these fringe things is that my fear is you end up throwing the baby out with the uh, uh, bathwater um, just by going, oh, it's weird. It's weird. No, it's, it's just about eating an onion, dressing up like a chicken or whatever it is. Actually, there may be something there which is deeply interesting, deeply profound, and to do with the way in which the mind works. We just don't understand it yet. So we've learned that no one really knows what hypnosis is, that there's a big debate about state versus non-state, that in stage hypnosis there's a great deal of compliance going on, that the debate about the nature and origin of hypnosis has raged for years and now is moving away to a far more pragmatic uh, approach, which is, does it work? And there's actually quite a lot of promise in that area.
From Podomo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podomo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.